Hey there, kids. Happy Monday. And before I get into today's show, I have to tell you this, the first thing, because I fucked up. I fucked up. I fucked up last week and I forgot to mention the man who was supposed to be the prime sponsor of last week's episode with Dave Smith. And I completely freaking flaked. But you have seen his artwork potentially promoting that episode all around Twitter and Facebook uh, in the week prior to that. He is the man himself, Top Lobster. You can find all his work over at toplobster.com. He makes awesome Liberty merchandise, Liberty t-shirts, hats, mugs. I assume there's mugs. I'm not actually sure, but there's probably mugs. If not, maybe he'll get some. Either way, I'm going to be offering up a little discount for my sins and providing you guys with a little discount over at Top Lobster. That's not lobster. That's Top Lobster. Toplobster.com. You can use discount code ROAR for 20% off your order. By the way, if you need him for any kind of graphic design type stuff, any kind of promotional art, that's where you want to go. Top Lobster. You can also find him on Twitter at Top Lobster. I think there's an underscore under there, but Toplobster.com. Check out all the merch. Do me a favor. Go in there and pick out something you like. A nice t-shirt, maybe. I got my Scott Horton and the Wars t-shirt. Stick that puppy in your cart. Use that discount code ROAR for 20% off. And show Top Lobster a little love for that awesome promo art he did for my Dave Smith interview. That being said, I did a live stream with my friend Rachel Tobias last week for patrons. Here it is for you. All right, with me now, she is an actress, a comedian, a commentator of sorts, and one of my favorite Twitter follows out there. I'm pleased to welcome Rachel Tobias. Rachel, are you ready to roar? Yes, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) She's ready to roar again. Just a peek behind the curtains. This might be take two of this interview. It may or may not be. It doesn't really matter. But point being, we do have Rachel here now and uh, a lot of topics I want to potentially get into with you anyway. But first, first time on the show, Rachel. So why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit and uh, weave us through a little of your background and where exactly you intersected with the sort of, I guess, the libertarian community, I guess you could say. Oh, yeah, of course. So my name is Rachel. And basically, I originally was a big Bernie Sanders supporter back in 2016. I live in New York, so it's pretty common. And I saw, you know, basically Bernie gets screwed over during the election. Everyone cowed out of Hillary. I became very disillusioned with that. And I decided I was going to fly to D.C. I was going to protest outside the DNC. And I realized that didn't really change anything, that all the methods that we were told as to how to make any kind of change, whether it's marching on Wall Street or universal health care, things like that, just didn't seem to make a difference. So I you know, decided, you know what, I got to change my whole worldview. I got to go back to the basics. And I decided to just start doing some research back in 9-11, some conspiracy stuff, kind of listening to the crazy people that I, that I kind of dismissed those kind of people. I went back to researching 9-11, came across Titus Frost's work, came across, um, you know, other stuff on 4chan. And then I decided I was an ANCAP. I'm like, all right, that, that basically suits me best. And I was very, at the time, I was still like, I was very much, you know, I'd been raised religious Jewish and while my parents were were Democrats um, and not super into politics per se, that was also something that I wasn't a big fan of was this religion. So I was big atheist, big secular person. And I decided to kind of like restart my life. So coming across stuff, you know, I decided, you know what, in 2018, I'm going to go to every kind of festival. I want to be around like-minded people. I went to Anacapoco. I went to Midwest Peace and Liberty Festival. I went to, you know, anything I can get my hands on, basically. And that just opened a lot of doors for me and changed my perspective quite a bit. Um, I started, you know, listening to different anarchists on Twitter, and I came across Lines of Liberty, Pete's show, other things. And then pretty much 2020 happened. And I thought, you know what? 
it's our time. It's the libertarian moment. This is what's going to happen, right? Like we've been training for this philosophically, anyway. Uh. Yeah, uh, like you know, as soon as as soon as it went down, I'm like, mm, this is a little weird, and and I'm like, something doesn't really sit right with me. And at that point, you no, know, it's kind of on to conspiracies, onto you know that Bill Gates and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't trust these people. I don't trust this medical industry. And but I thought this is our moment, right? And I was so wrong. I couldn't be more wrong. I thought, you know, surely people would wake up and they didn't. It was almost like this cosmic doubling down as a joke in my face. I thought, oh my God, this is ridiculous. And I saw so many libertarians just doing things I wouldn't have expected, right? Like we, like in some ways I was very disappointed by a lot of the people I knew in my life and a lot of the so-called normies, you know, wearing the mask, getting the jab, running out and stuff. But I never expected any of the libertarians to carry any water for that. I never expected them to be cool with vax passports or mandates or to say private businesses can do what they want. That, you know, oh, oh, they can do this of their own volition. And me being in New York, I saw businesses get threatened by the state saying, we're going to fine you if you don't use a vax passport, if you don't tell customers to wear masks. And it just got so messy to where I'm like, how could any libertarian support any part of this clearly crazy agenda going on? You know, it, there seemed to be a bit of a of a gap between the conspiracy community and the libertarian community and any sort of other self-improvement sphere or and COVID was the one thing that kind of came in and just sort of pushed everyone back and everyone had to go and reevaluate where things were. So I started seeing conspiracy people talk about this, of course, but I also saw self-improvement people talk about this, libertarians. Everyone suddenly had an opinion and a take because even if we didn't want to talk about COVID, we kind of had to, right? Like everyone had to sort of address the elephant in the room. And that was where you clearly saw really a divide into how people define what was happening, why it was happening. And what to do about it. And that's where I really got into Pete's work. And I really got into this post-libertarian idea. Because I realized not only do we need to ask ourselves, was libertarianism correct in assessing the right way to do things? But was there something even deeper? Was there something even about human nature and psychology that I was wrong about? So... Those were those were some things that I kind of started getting into and going down rabbit holes in that. And that, again, changed my perspective on a lot of things. And then that's where I ended up in the group chat and pretty much talking to you and hearing sort of the um, heretical perspectives against like a lot of the libertarian positions on all the mandates and everything going on. All right. Well, you know, we have by we, I mean, me and, and some of my guests have kind of beaten the post-libertarian stuff uh, a little bit to death lately. So maybe we'll circle back to it, but I, less than necessarily the, the post-libertarian arguments. I am more just curious about the maybe diving a little bit further into this divide that you saw among people and maybe like some of the qualities that we can see that why certain people went certain ways. And this is like you would think on the surface, the libertarians are the ones that see this for what it is. The people that are the most skeptical of the government, the people 
people that are most skeptical of the uh, the structures of power and various hierarchies, you would think it would just be a very straight line, like libertarians, if anything, libertarians and like everybody else. But it really is not that at all. Um, it's been much more. I, I, I wouldn't say all libertarians have been in favor of mandates, but you see those you see those arguments in the in these circles. Um, but there are, of course, many, many completely opposed to them. So, you know, there there is a bit of a mix there. Um, but I think it's, it's less about even specific policies and more about understanding exactly what we're dealing with. And I guess maybe this is kind of getting into the post-libertarian stuff, but it really it's, it's the question of why simply not just a libertarian philosophy, but simply a philosophy of whatever your political philosophy is, is not solely in and of itself enough to deal with the various forces in, in the world that are sort of playing out in front of us. So maybe you can, and maybe you can use your, the concept a little bit of, of how your religion has evolved. Cause I think we're somewhat similar in that we were both raised Jewish, both went through an atheist phase and now both kind of see like, okay, maybe these guys knew a little more than, than, than we gave them credit for. So take that anywhere you like. Let's kind of address that. Cause we got multiple topics to stacked on each other. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the quality of a good interviewer when they give you three things at once to, 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 to respond to, yeah. but that's how we roll. So, so basically to, to get to that, um, the first thing I want to say, we don't have to get super into the post-libertarian is when COVID bullshit happened, when all the mandates happened, it really um, forced me to check again my worldview. And like I was saying earlier in this show, that's something that I've done multiple times in my life is, is truly kind of acknowledge that I was wrong about something and then start it over, which is an incredibly painful process. And that kind of started like when I was raised super religious. And at the time, it wasn't really an issue because most of the people in my community were also really religious Jewish. There was no conflict there. But when I went to a public school, that's where I really kind of ran into problems. And not because, oh, it's just a state school, it's evil. It was a pretty decent state school, like in upstate New York. But it was more so I came across various people of you know backgrounds and ideas. And I got kind of a taste of what it was like to make friends and kind of see what their lives were like and how it was different from mine. And because of that, I just felt like I really didn't fit in. I felt like I I lacked that connectivity. And it really, I was questioning my faith before. My faith felt very performative when I would go to temple, which I had to do every Saturday. And I had to dress a certain way and I had to eat a certain way. And it was incredibly authoritarian in that sense, where every aspect of my life was very heavily regulated. And I was kind of given this wholesale identity. And the sense of an individual really didn't exist. The idea was that it's so antithetical to libertarian philosophy, which is that you are a member of this tribe, you represent this tribe, you have a role within that tribe. And that's kind of it. And the idea that you would sort of think anything differently kind of seemed like absurd. And in terms of atheism itself, like I said, I would pray to God. I kind of believed in it, but it was mostly like, okay, everyone else is doing this. And as I got older, when I was about 17, I thought, I really feel like I'm praying to like some invisible man in the sky. Uh, it, it It just kind of felt silly to me and it felt inauthentic in a way. It felt like it really wasn't something that was coming from me or my heart. It was just something that was expected of me. There's this social expectation of me to do it. And I remember coming out to my parents as an atheist. And I said, hey, look, I've been been really, that's (laughs) That's the the, first step. That's the first. (laughs) A different kind of coming out. But yeah, I I guess in that situation, that was probably maybe more horrifying than the other kind of coming out, depending on the circumstances. Well, there were other than that. So I came out to them as an atheist. 
And they said to me, like, what's wrong with you? You need to talk to a rabbi and we're going to set you straight. Like, I don't understand. My dad said to me, like, but you're Jewish. Like, why would you ever think that? And by the way, it's very common for many Jews to be atheists. It's actually not a necessity within Judaism, like, for you to... Yeah, there's a whole segment of Jews called Reformed Jews who are basically they don't count. No, 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 Jews no. in name, o- Jews in name only, which is actually like no. I mean that's kind of the congregation I went to was like a Reformed congregation. So it basically means you're there for basically means you're there for the wine, and then you go back to your normal life. Like I didn't have any kind of strictness otherwise. See, that doesn't count because you don't get to suffer and sacrifice. <laughs> you just get to ah something Jewish culture, and that's the end of it. No, 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 no. I had to learn the whole haftarah. That was that was suffering okay. and sacrifice. That, that okay. does count. But yeah, beyond that. But then it it was easy. Right. So what I used to do, I had to go to temple every Saturday and the men and women were to sit. It was an Orthodox temple, right? So the men and women were to sit separate. So it was a very, very small congregation because it's like an older congregation and and kind of, um, as we see now with trends, like not a lot of young people kind of dying off more. I used to go hide in the bathroom and like try to avoid services and just like, I hated it. Like the only way I could get out of going to temple was if I said I had too much homework it was like academia temple like the total pillars of like the jewish identity like that was it right i was like there's no other way and it was just so boring and i go to the rabbi study and i grab a random book and try to read it and i'm just like this drives me nuts right and i and i was frustrated and i figured for my brothers and for my dad i'm like okay i could see how they could get into it because men could leave a service it takes 10 men to have a prayer service so it felt that really frustrated me too kind of seeing that gender divide and being like, how how come they get to be celebrated and I got to sit in the back and cover up and I can't sing? And so it was just really, really frustrating out of sorts. Hey, you couldn't sing either, man. That's the only part sometimes like, oh, that's kind of a good tune. <laughs> I can enjoy singing this that song. I don't understand. I'm like, I don't. This is so boring and out of touch. And I hate this double standard. And I, you know, hated that. But when I came out to my parents as atheists, they were not having it. And, you know, and I didn't know where to fit after that. And also, in addition to that. I was kind of like questioning my sexuality and realized I was like all as a double whammy for them. Like, here. I was also attracted. <laughs> By the way, while we're talking, anyway, <laughs> while I've got your segueing, um, I realized I was like also attracted to girls in addition to boys. And like, it, it just kind of sucked because I was sort of, like I said, there wasn't the concept of an individual and like your own personal pursuits or your own personal ego. I was just kind of thrown into this situation. And I'm like, I have, and I'm one of five kids in a big family. And I grew up in, in this, you know, small three bedroom house. So like, I didn't have my own space, my own, I didn't have a computer uh, to myself. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a car, I didn't have anything. And I have all these questions and all these feelings and all these thoughts. And I got like, no outlet, no one to talk to. Like, I, I would kind of talk to the guidance counselor at my high school, but that really didn't do much. I talked to my friends, but they couldn't really. They're like, have you thought about going back to synagogue, dear? <laughs> like, you're missing. Yeah. Me. By the way, things were so different. I feel like I'm living in this weird dystopian nightmare now where I wished on a monkey's paw that people would be more accepting and tolerant and that you could talk to your teachers in schools. And, so, and suddenly, like, things have pe- gone <laughs> It's crazy. the ultimate Twilight Zone Absolutely. episode. Yes. Yes. I just want people to be more tolerant. I, I didn't know. mean this. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> I made a bad wish and messed everything up it's crazy because again growing up i felt so alone and isolated and it was the kind of family in a way it wasn't like oh white supremacist christians but it was still the kind of family that the regime was like oh you know the religion's evil this community this tight-knit community's evil 
I mean, Jews tend to get a free pass in that regard, but it was more so this concept of an insular community where, no, 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 you need to be a part of a secular global homo, you know, you cannot be in a parallel society, whatever, right? Like, I grew up with the conservatism, in a sense, even though my parents were Democrat, culturally conservatism that was considered, like, wrong and evil and, and all this stuff, right? The regime doesn't family regardless of what the religion is. So, yeah, it's, it's so crazy to me. And when I would talk to, I would try to talk to my teachers and say, like, my guidance counselor, my family's super religious. It's not for me. I don't really know who I am. I don't know where I fit into this. And they would say to me, look, just, just go home, just stay there, because I wanted to run away. I didn't know what to do. And I try to talk to my siblings, but they're very passive. Like, um, I just thought, like, I don't know why. Maybe it's my temperament or something. I'm like, I'm kind of done with trying to make everyone happy. And I don't really know where I fit into this. And then, you know, as I got older, it just didn't work for me anymore. And I approached my parents and I said, listen, like, you need to back off or I'm going to leave. And I was 18 years old. I'm like, I'm going to move out if you keep making me be religious. And they just kept making me really be religious. So I moved out despite all of my teachers, my guidance counselors saying, no, 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 stay home. You know, don't do that. I left. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. And this is when you're still yes, in high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like end of junior year in high school. I moved out. I couldn't take it. Or I yeah. think close, maybe around senior year or so. And the school was going to try to make me. Um, Wait, yeah. So how did you, I got to know more of that. How did you actually, how did, like, <laughs> I, I made some money when I was that age, but not enough to move. Like it was enough to buy comic books. It wasn't enough to move out. So how did, how are you even able to do that? No, no, no. It's, it's not as bad as you. It's not terrible. So I'm trying not to skip around too much. So basically, my mom found me a job working at a costume shop. And I used to be the person that would stand outside with the sign saying, like, buy costumes for Spirit Halloween, blah, blah, blah. It was like my first job ever, right? And I was so insulated and sheltered. And, and like, that was my first job. It was a very, very big deal. And I got to be out of the house. And one day, a guy drove past and he stopped. And he got out of his car and I was freaking out. And he came up to me and he's like, I don't know you, but here's my number. Kind of like the Carly Rae Johnson song. It's awful. But but he's like, here's my number. Like, <laughs> call me, blah, blah, blah. And I sat on it. I thought about it. I'm like, this is weird. Like, I don't know. This is dangerous. But I'd never done anything exciting before in my whole life. I was so sheltered. I'm like, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to do it. So I called him and we met up and we continued meeting up and what have you. And we started dating, and then I would try to sneak out of the house and, like, go see him, right? I presume this is an older, older man? Older guy. I didn't realize how old he was at the time. He lied to me about his age. So, I was 18, and he was 32, and he told me that he was, like, oh, I'm 27 or something. I started seeing him, and it got to the point where, like, I realized, like, that wasn't me. Like, the sneaking out, trying to lie, you know, get around this. Like I, I hated living sort of any sort of double life. Like I absolutely hated it. It was maybe as much of a double life as, as like trying to fit yourself into the religion, but it's like, you're yeah. also, you also really want to be away. Yeah. You know? So just kind of a mess. And I, I wasn't into drugs. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a bad kid, but I was just like, something has to give, something has to change. And I don't know what to do. Right. And I had no guidance or point of reference for what to do. And I just thrown into this situation, right? So I, I approached my parents and I said, look, I've been seeing this dude, you know, I can't be religious. I, and they ended up calling the police and locking me in my room, basically telling me like, you can't leave the house. And they went through all my stuff and they found that I had like girly magazine, you know, like playboy kind of magazines. <laughs> like, and my dad said to me, I'll never forget it. My parents said to me, 
my dad said like, are you bisexual? And I said, yes. And he said, we love you anyway. And it was just so <laughs> shameful and like embarrassing. Right. And I'm sorry to jump all over, but just understand I was 18 at the time had never kind of been in this situation and was just like, all of it was so much to me. It was just way too much. And I felt so ashamed. I just going through my stuff. Like it was in the gulag. And after that, I ended up calling the guy and, you know, cause I ended up, I had like a pager at the time or whatever. And, you know, and I ended up like messaging him on AOL instant messenger and saying, you know, like, look, my parents are keeping me. Those were my, my first communication tools with emails as well. I'm like, my parents are keeping me in my house. I don't want to be here. I don't know what to do. And he's like, if you are serious, he's like, either we can break up now and just like never talk about it or I can come pick you up and you can move in with me. And I was like, come pick me up, move in, move in. <laughs> Let's do that. I like, I just decided. And it was so terrible because we only knew each other for maybe less than five months or so. I mean, it's so crazy. And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. I just got to do it. And, and it's so, I feel so, so bad saying this because like, I grew up with what the right envisions. It again, wasn't Christianity or whatever, but what the right envisions is like, oh, you were in this parallel community. You, you were in this tight knit family. You were one of like five kids, this big family. It just wasn't that idealistic. I'm not saying that my parents were abusive anyway. It's just more of it. It wasn't that cottage idealistic sort of like Americana that people think it is. It was too much for me. Not having my own space, my own, my own thoughts, my own. Th I was like, I had enough. So I moved out and, you know, my mom tried to stop me from moving out. And she said, who's going to care about you in the end? Like, bah, da, da. and I just said, move aside. And I pushed her aside and I took my stuff and I left. I left because he had showed up at my parents' house and he said, you can move in with me. I said, I'm gone. So I moved out. And this was, and it was so wild and crazy to me because I had never done anything like this in my life. I had not much experience with relationships. So it was like all this stuff at once, right? And this guy that I, my ex that I moved into with turned out to be super into conspiracies. And by the way, just to date this, this is like 2000 and three or four or so. Okay. Just to, just to give a picture on this, like about 2004 or so. Um, he was super into Alex Jones, super into David Icke and talking about the new world order. And by the way, oh, this is the best thing that ever happened yet. <laughs> little, little bonus, by the way, bonus you know, for the Patreon listeners. He was super into, he, he would listen to Alex Jones and talk about new world order and talk about the news and stuff. And he said, Oh, by the way, there's this like SARS, pandemic thing going on it was like bird flu or something and he said there's going to be fema camps and we're going to put this in the camps this is about like 2004 2005 and he was mm -hmm. wearing a mask in the apartment he's like we got to get masks we gotta... just as a little bonus oh, so he bought the conspiracy but also bought the that it was maybe a real going to be a real virus so, conspiracy. so yeah. just as a little bonus a little pre-covid thing that's sort of like trying to scare everyone with bird flu and then telling people they're going to be put in fema camps was kind of pushed out there now it wasn't as big as covid whatever you want to say it is or isn't and it wasn't as like it didn't latch on quite the same but i do think that was sort of like the test run for something whatever is or isn't going on now i think that was and then they kind of like 
did something similar with Zika virus and, and kind of like rolling out occasional like, oh, there's this pandemic thing happening. Seems like the, the soft launches or like the beta launches. Yeah. Like we're going to try this because I do remember like a decent amount of fear porn over like the bird flu, the, the avian flu. Exactly. And then there was like a fucking rooster flu or something like the pig flu or something. And then everyone I'm like, uh, they're putting a lot of stuff on TV about this, but I'm not worried. So it's like maybe they're like, all right, we need to do we need to go harder if this is going to work. And, and he was super into the John Birch Society and he was super and like taught me about you know, the Khazar Empire. This one based creepy older guy, right? <laughs> good, good and bad. Mixed mix bag, mixed bag. Because uh, he would tell me about the JQ and the Khazar Empire and all this stuff. And I ended up like, I'm not autistic, but in this very autistic way, I thought, I know what I have to do. I'm going to put together. This is like so, so embarrassing. I'm like, I am going to put together this 20 page essay on why I don't want to be Jewish and I'm going to present it to my parents. I'm going to tell, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to present them with information about the Khazar empire. I'm going to talk. About, wait, oh it gets good. God. It gets good. I'm like, oh boy. because in my mind, I'm like, if I show them facts and details, maybe they will. I was like, well, I'm Ashkenazi, which means it's the knockoff handbags of Jews. I'm like, I come from Russian descent and European descent. And I had, I remember asking my parents at one point, I said, like, where do we come from? They're like, oh, well, you know, Russia. And my dad was born in Israel. I said, what about before that? And they just literally said, tribe of Israel. I'm like, what? I'm like, how come we don't look Middle Eastern? Like, and so... I put together this whole info packet about how asking the the wrong and the right questions about how Ashkenazi Jews are like converts from this Khazar empire and how we're actually descendants of converts and blah, blah, like this whole thing. And I tried to present it to them. I was not having it. They were not like, Mm. well, here's what you tried to do. You tried to do the libertarian thing. I tried to do that. This is how we're going to tie it back in. You tried to make the logical, rational argument for something that cannot be argued rationally or logically. And I think that's something we've all experienced in the last couple of years on one level or another. I thought if I could prove that like our ancestors were shipping people and, and kind of like, I thought if I could shipping prove, is such a Jewish word that only, only people is. raised by Jews understand and can fully appreciate. Well, I, I did my time. So I, so I got to make the yeah. most of it. Right. Absolutely. But like, I thought if I presented all this information, then maybe they would kind of like back off and understand <laughs> where I'm coming from and kind of like not say, Oh, you, because Judaism as, as you, maybe, you know, is so encompassing and just it's a philosophy, ethnicity, identity, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, actually, in, in Hebrew school, I remember they did like a circle and like a chart and they're like, what is Judaism? And they're like, well, it's a country. It's like, it's also a, it's a religion. It's also a culture. It's also a country. It's like, it's like, it's, then they're like, it's that, not actually any of those things, but it's also all yeah. of those things. I'm like, what? <laughs> they pound it into your head because it's such a saturating like identity. And they're like, this is who you are. And then they guilt trip you but they're like, if you don't agree with it, then, you know, you, you surely, you know, they tell you about the Holocaust and this, and then they do the whole MK ultra thing where we had to do the field trip to like DC from middle school where they show you the Holocaust museum. And it's basically MK ultra, uh, just, you know, pushing, <laughs> like, it's Jewish just, kids. yeah, it's just pushing it's a it less on acid. You. right that way. So if you say, Hey, I'm kind of questioning things. I don't know about this philosophy. And when they say that you're God's chosen people, you're like, that doesn't sound right to me. It sounds kind of wrong and mean. And like, when they say you're better than other people, I'm like, I don't like this. Um, Then they bring in the guilt. So they have their various sort of like components of sticks, you know, carrots and and the stick to kind of keep you locked in and, and sort of like believing. So 
Anyway, after that, you know, I got into a weird, dark place where I felt like caught between worlds. I'm like, because uh, uh, the relationship was deteriorating with this guy, obviously. We had only known each other for so many months and I felt dependent on him. And it just felt very, very weird because I was like, well, things aren't really working out here, but like, I can't just go home either. But I just wrote a 20 page essay. So. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't just go back home either. I really don't know what to do. And there really wasn't any resources for me that I was aware of, of where I could go or what I could do. And he had said to me that he wanted to move to Indiana to go get his PhD in organic chemistry. Like, like very smart guy, but very twisted kind of guy. Because again, super smart dude, but was wearing a mask indoors, talking about SARS, wearing gloves, blah, blah, blah. He would spend money on books about like the laws of attraction and the book, The Secret and how to. So he got into these like esoteric kind of deep dives, which. But he's an atheist. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't right. know. He was an atheist. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was how an atheist too. <laughs> Everybody that's inher inherently like on that stuff, yeah. like the law of attraction, almost all of them are universally atheists. Yeah. It's like, Holt, you realize what you're. You're really, you're literally invoking other powers, the otherworldly powers are trying to anyway. Right. And that's kind of the idea of sort of like rejecting some things, but accepting these grifts and kind of there, there's cul-de-sacs and traps in every sort of direction. There's a lot of validity to esoteric and occult and spirituality, but there's also plenty of traps for people because a lot of, a lot sure. of stuff is yeah. just sort of a trap to keep your consciousness, you know, asleep. And if you don't know how to navigate that or where to go, then there's plenty of stuff waiting you if you have no real intuitive guidance of any kind so beyond that you know i, I ended up uh, moving with him to indiana and that was where it, and again it's so funny to me parallel to now even though i'm in new york it's just funny how like the concept of and you can relate in a sense of uprooting your life totally starting over just everything at once you know having to reshift your entire reality and your physical surroundings and your entire social network and do it so fast without a hundred percent of a game plan it is intense. And that's what I did. You know, I was like, okay, he wants to go to Indiana. I'm going to move with him and I'm going to restart my life. And that's what I did. And I had um, gone to college in New York where I had dropped out and spent two years trying to figure out what I wanted to do. We were still together in this time. And when he moved, I moved to, and then we broke up. And it was not working, obviously. And I restarted my life. So now where we're at is 2000 and I think it was 2007 or so. I went to Purdue University, totally restarted my life. And this is kind of a fascinating thing, I think, where in a lot of ways, there were a lot of things I came across that kind of was a substitute family for me. So the institution and academia was my home. Like I had an a physical apartment or whatever and i was finally like living with a roommate out on my own kind of thing but it was like being a part i would love being at the university because i felt like i was a part of something i mean i felt like and what i didn't realize at the time was that that sort of like god hole that sort of like religion hole i was trying to just kind of like fill that in some way and figure out like some kind of identity to match that right because there was so much that was like missing at that time so for me, that secular world was amazing. I had never experienced so much freedom in my life, like being away from my family, being away from the religion, being away from every aspect of that and having zero guidance and zero regulation in my life um, was great, was, was, was great for a while. Like that was really nice for, for a while, right? 
And I got, but then I got kind of stuck on certain things. I remember walking around campus and someone came up to me with a flyer and said like, do you like freedom? I'm like, yeah, of course I like freedom. And they're like, well, are you interested in joining Yale? And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, well, it's a libertarian bubble. And I was like, wait, isn't libertarian like selfish old white people? Because I was still like a leftist at the time. And they're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not interested in that. That's just no thanks. Like those people are crazy. And I walked my own way. That was before I got into like anarchism and everything. And I was very much a leftist. And by the way, obviously, being in academia was something that really facilitated and supported leftism as well. So that was like, and even though I did go to more of a conservative university, Purdue is a state school, I certainly would say that the culture and surrounding culture is more conservative, but because it's academia, I mean, you're going to find liberal stuff, right? Within the institution itself, like you will. And I was going to the liberal arts side of that conservative school. And I joined like a feminist club. I joined like a non-theist atheist club, like all these clubs. And I finally felt like fulfilled in some way. I'm like, okay, I kind of glued together an identity and, and this will do, right? And that's how it was. And then I graduated in 2012 and I moved, uh, I ended up like, um, I guess not 100% patching up things with my family, but kind of establishing boundaries where i would talk to my parents once in a while i was still very angry i won't present you with a kazar paper and you won't force uh, your the religion on me i guess right you know we talked to each other and then it took me about two years to go back and visit home because i was so angry and hurt and you know it took me a long time also to understand where my parents were coming from and why and kind of like put myself in their shoes and understand like their concern for me that they really loved me but th- like this was their their way of trying to not only secure an identity and tribe and, and sort of fulfill their social contract with that tribe. Like it's so, Oh, something that libertarians hate so much, but also like they were just doing what they thought was best for me. And I was trying to do what I thought was best for me too, with the limited information that I had. And it was tough because at that time I was like, I don't know who I am, but I don't want this. And it wasn't like a great place to kind of jump off of. And it was very easy to be exploited and just cling to different identities in that sense, in that vacuum. I think that does like speak to the problems that often libertarians have as well when they cannot, they just cannot believe that somebody doesn't see, you know, see the the truth of the philosophy or doesn't just doesn't understand. Like, I don't get why they don't get it. I I explained everything exactly the way Murray Rothbard did, but, but it's, it's the same thing. I think there's that reaction and counter reaction where it almost doesn't matter what the belief that is being put upon you is. If it's being put upon you and you feel like it's not even your choice or just being hammered on you, the, the, the reaction is to reject it either way, because people, especially if you are trying to figure yourself out in some way, you don't want someone else telling you what you are. You want to figure out what you are. Yeah, not just that, but also just certain things are kind of like a hard sell. And I'm not saying that libertarians are number one in selling responsibility. They're not. But more of like someone telling you not to get involved in social programs, not to take welfare, not to get any kind of, you know, to, to take on some independence. And by the way, coming from the left, libertarianism for the most part like is rightly compared to progressive leftism like if things would be better if all progressives suddenly became libertarians i don't deny that although i do think that libertarianism is kind of a bit of a trap and a cul-de-sac to prevent people from kind of going right college worked for a while but then i was going to graduate people are going to move away all that stuff and kind of i i just sort of 
all over again. I'm like, oh shoot, I can't stay in academia forever. I thought I thought about getting um my master's degree. And by the way, I would get really mad. You might appreciate this. I would get so mad when people would say to me, well, college isn't the real world. And I'm like, fuck you. You know, I got to work full time to support myself because when I was going to college, I was supporting, I wasn't getting any kind of support from my family. I wasn't getting any kind of really money from my family, nothing like that. I basically um, just got like federal aid. I got grants. I worked hard and I got a scholarship. And I worked part-time in a retirement home as a dietary aide. So I paid my own way, right? Like I was working as an adult while going to school full-time for illustration and, and stuff like that and trying to support myself. So I would get really mad when people would say to me like, oh, college isn't the real world. You don't know anything. And I'd be like, yes, I do. But kind of realizing years later, it's like, yes, college is not the real world. Academia is at not at all the real world. It's just that I happen to be working at the same time. So I, I thought, oh, you know, that's a little different because there were a lot of students who that's all they did. And there's even people I know now who like just graduated, who just kind of stayed there because it's a very insular bubble from the real oh, yeah. world. You know, it's, it's very subsidized of to, to keep people from the real world. But anyway, so I had reached out to extended family that was in New York in a different part of New York in Long Island. And my brother-in-law said to me, we need someone to do administrative work and drafting for this, for my engineering company. And I said to him like, well, hang on before you offer me a job. I want to look around and I want to get something in activism. I want, I want to do something with that. And I looked at jobs in activism and I'm like, these are terrible. They don't pay well. And this doesn't really seem to be helping people. So, all right. So I, I graduated, left Indiana, went to Long Island, New York and since 2012 and have been there ever since. And then, you know, worked for my brother-in-law's company. But in that, one more, one more piece to that history was the hilarious thing was majority of my friends graduated and moved to Seattle. And I was so jealous. I was like, oh, you guys suck. You get to live in this big liberal city. You know, I'm so like, I'm so mad. I got to go to this like kind of conservative area of New York. It's not fair. But I'm like, all right, because and that's that was a big decision that I made was being like, I'm going to go reconnect with with some of my extended family, but some of my siblings are here. And I'm like, okay, I'll go, I'll go do that. And I made some peace with my parents. It wasn't perfect, but we had at least somewhat of a mutual understanding where everyone stood. And I made it very clear. I'm like, I'm still not religious. I don't keep kosher. I want to date who I want to date. I want to date non-Jews is what I want to do. Okay. It's like some understanding, right? And what's so crazy to me is over the years, Things in Seattle imploded, like especially when it came to the COVID bullshit and all this stuff. Seattle is horrible. I have friends who go visit occasionally and will tell me like there's homeless people everywhere. There's drugs in the streets everywhere. It's not the same at all. So this this whole like lifestyle, this whole concept of this like liberal Mecca that it seemed to me imploded on itself. And I'm so glad that I resisted any urge to move there it's really unfortunate a lot of my friends up and moved out to other places and that was it and and then after that you know like i said 20 well skipping around a little bit but 2018 i got into more so politics and anarchism and i used to fight with my liberal friends and i get in a lot of trouble bringing up false flags and hoaxes and and the defining thing i said on facebook before i deleted it 
was, and this is about 2018, I said, it seems to me that the FBI and the CIA are setting up white people to be like patsies and shootings and calling them evil. Mm. Yeah, I, I said that on Facebook and I got in a lot of trouble with my friends and I had a black friend of mine who said, what, you don't think that, what, this is kind of a weird argument. He's like, you don't think that black people are set up or blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I think police just shoot them. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I lost a lot of friends. I was talking, I think, I think, Parkland really like, from that from that post you actually you like literally lost yeah. friends from posting yeah that. I had wow. I had friends disavow wow. me and I was like well I'm pursuing truth if you don't want to be my friend fine like I'm not going to delete people out of my life but so as I was saying to sum this up there were many times in my life where I had to reevaluate things start over start over from scratch just so you know it's not that I have zero ego it's just that it's it's a very painful process to go back to the drawing board and admit that I was wrong and restart things and then that's kind of what happened with being an ANCAP too I don't know really 100% I call myself an ANCAP and that's kind of like in many ways my ideal but the COVID stuff happened and that's where I really had to, again, like once again, redo things. And I was so annoyed. I'm like, oh, when can I just stop being wrong? It's really annoying. Like when, when can I just have everything right in one place where I'm like, all right, I know a hundred percent what's what. And then I don't have to redo everything all over again. All right, gang. Well, you know what? I am going to redo all over again. That is to once again tell you about our fantastic sponsors at Paloma Verde CBD. These people, these people, these are great people. Carlos and Vanessa Abelar, they're good folks, Liberty folks. Carlos has the fantastic show Los Libertinos as well. I've been on that show. Check that out. But you got to check out these CBD products. If you have aches, if you have pains, if you can't sleep, if you have insomnia, this, these products have helped me with all of the things I just mentioned. And man, let me tell you the gummies, the freaking gummies, unbelievably, they are delicious. They would be delicious as just a plain old snack, but it's not just a plain old snack. It has the wonderful CBD anti-inflammatory properties without that psychoactive component that, eh, Maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but you don't always need it, that's for sure. So check out Paloma Verde CBD over at PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use discount code ROAR for 20% off your order. And not only that, free shipping, free shipping for all orders over $75. You just can't beat this deal, you can't beat this product, and you can't beat the fine folks, our friends, Carlos and Vanessa. Check them all out, Paloma Verde CBD. Use discount code ROAR for 20% off your order. I think your your ability to recognize when you do need to reset or when you do need to leave a situation and when you do need to make the often more difficult move to sort of reprogram or reset yourself, your own great reset, I, I guess, is something because there are, are many people that and look, some people should be set in their ways. Like some people got a got their great family together and like have yeah, their shit down and like those, people. those those assholes, <laughs> those assholes. Yeah, they should be they should be set in their ways. So I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say everyone should always try to be reset set in their life necessarily but i think especially in the last two years there are many people that are uh, me being one of them that realized like the way they were seeing the world does not line up with how the world's actually functioning the way they wanted to see the world doesn't line up with the, with how the world actually functions so we can daydream all, all we want but at some point you realize like if i want to get to certain to certain place in my life i do need a sort of a reset or a great reset of, of sorts of my own so that's maybe something you can get into a little more like what are some of the the tactics tricks suggestions that you 
you have for people that do realize like there are, I do need to take a little more charge in my life. I do need to kind of, you know, put myself back in the driver's seat, so to speak. Thank you for going with me down that terrible journey. <laughs> and I hate those people. By the way, the people who, if you have great connections with your family, great connections with your friends, you've got a loving partner, you are so wealthy. If that's you, this is not a pity fest, but but that is like absolutely wealth beyond anything. And I would have those moments where I'm like, oh my God, do people really have like so much good in their lives and so much support and love? And and just like if you don't have that support, it's very easy to lose your way. So so I kind of made a list of some things that I think could help out. And even for maybe people who are happy with where they're at or want to change things, the first thing I would say is. Um, understand that the environment that we live in is kind of captured. And I'm not saying when you go outside and touch grass, everything's fake. What I am saying is when it comes to social media, a lot of things in this age of information that were being presented to us, if you sort of don't know who you are and what your purpose is, other people do and they will exploit you. Like they'll just like a traffic jam, they'll just run you over. If you don't have a concept of your own intuition, what your own, you know, being silent with yourself and just observing your thoughts and understanding your own flaws and your strengths and weaknesses, other people will identify that for you on their behalf, on your behalf, and won't tell you and take advantage of you. So some things I thought were important is, number one is recognize that our environments in general are built to cause stress. And if you can see over the past few years, with all the COVID bullshit, the regime bullshit, all this, all this news, all this man, this noise, it's all designed to trigger you and push your buttons and just get you overwhelmed. So the first thing to do is to recognize that, to try to practice what I like to call mental jujitsu, which is where create an environment for yourself where you can kind of tune things out. You can turn down the volume, maybe have the lights out, maybe it's your room, maybe it's a study somewhere where you just want to drown out all the simulate, oh, this <laughs> simulation, this stimulation, and just kind of allow yourself to sit in silence. Because the way that this environment works is they don't want you doing that. They don't want you to sit with yourself and kind of like have any sort of focus or mental clarity and connect with source and your intuition. They don't want that at all. If you always notice, there's always something to do. There's always something something going on, something always uh, competing for your attention. I mean, wherever that may have been 10, 15 years ago, it's a thousand times mm -hmm. more now. And even to the point that like, I'm sure you like me, even knowing this and being aware of this, yeah. get, I, get sucked, I know you get sucked in because you're, you're on Twitter as much as I am probably. You get sucked into the the likes and the, the retweets. And then it's like, it's, it's, it's something human in us that that they have figured out how to exploit where, yeah, if I get, get eight, see these eight notifications, mm -hmm. like I need, I, I need to see them because yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> Obviously, it's very important. So, I mean, it's something that even when we have the knowledge of how damaging it can be, we can still get sucked into it. So imagine the people that don't even see see the potential harm. Wait, it, it's know? something that becomes that stress almost becomes like you get addicted to the cortisol and the feeling of that rush. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes like second nature where you feel like it's really normal to constantly feel like you have to perform or just somehow be on 24 seven. And that's how it also yeah. was with all the COVID bullshit. I feel that way with every tweet. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes increased. I'm like, is this, is this the, is this the, yeah, actually I just hit send actually. I don't really think too hard about it. Yeah. So the first thing is developing that mental jujitsu. And I'm the kind of person where I have this chattery inner monologue that doesn't turn off. I wake up, I turn my, I, you know, open my eyes. Yeah. My brain is already like, let's go. I have a very hard time meditating. 
So at least spend maybe 10 minutes a day, maybe a couple of times a week, just trying to focus on your breathing, just try to focus on how your body feels and being present in that moment to just kind of like turn everything down and to refocus. And once you do that, I I think the key there too, just to add my own little tip, because I struggled with this. I've struggled, struggled trying to meditate for a long time because I, it's the Jewish brain. It's a curse. my, My brain works. My brain never, ever stops. And I think I wouldn't say I'm good at meditating, but I, it, it used to stress me out because um, I would get stressed about the fact that I couldn't calm my voice down. And then once I realized it's OK, like don't fight the voice is what it doesn't mean. Like, don't hone in on it, but don't fight it either. When you stop fighting it, it's yeah. like it's allowed to be there. It's allowed to talk, but, you know, just let it be. And that, I think that's a th- something I hear so many people mention, like, oh, I just can't turn it off. It's like you're never going to turn it off. So like, if that's the battle you're fighting, you're going to lose. But if you just accept that it's there and then just try to let it flow a little bit, it's just a better way to approach it. Yeah. Because in many ways, this is going to sound weird, but the way I see it is we're almost like a spirit possessing an animal body in a way. And so it's like, you're riding a horse all the time, (laughs) your own body. And so I feel like sometimes there's this mismatch or this disconnect, or it's, it's difficult to kind of like, control that and so it's just to put everything into alignment in one place yeah, and that body we're inhabiting includes its own little robot brain that never shuts the fuck up oh, for yeah. some of us I, i've heard of, i heard some people just don't have it at all which is like i can't even imagine that's i think it'd weird. feel lonely if he wasn't there. that's weird but, to me yeah. to not have an inner model yeah, it's like it's like five percent of people or something like that that just don't have they just don't have it and here's something that is so invaluable if you can get good at that mental jujitsu and again what i mean by that is when someone's giving you information, when things are being thrown at you, to be mindful of like what it is they're trying to get you to do. What is it that the government or the regime or the cathedral or the corporation or people or whoever, everyone's trying to kind of like compete for your mental space. You think, what is it they're trying to get me to do? How are they trying to get me to react? When you get good at that, you become something I like to say, your own life lawyer, which is so beyond invaluable. You are constantly representing yourself and you are constantly your own life lawyer. And this is important. You must have like some kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda. You must have an inner referee where you're consciously or subconsciously aware of how you're interacting with people, how you're being received, and whether or not what you're doing is going to result in the thing that you want. And this is very hard, very hard because. For the past few years, I've been harboring like just so much hatred and frustration with a lot of normies and people who have like locked me down, been nasty to me, kept a mask on my face. You know, I fought all that stuff. But for all the people that were enforcing it and doing it without even thinking, like I feel like I'm constantly putting myself in other people's shoes and trying to evaluate where they're coming from. Even if I think, oh, they're blue pilled or they're this or that, I'm going okay, I, they're trying to just, you know, do what they think is best for them kind of thing. And it doesn't dismiss anything, but I don't know if this has been an issue for you. It's been an issue for me for the past few years. Anytime I talk to someone, I want to scream about COVID bullshit from the rooftops over the, I want to fight with people. Right. I mean, maybe a little less now, but it's kind of like, I want to shake people and wake them up and see like, don't you wonder, why don't you see what I see? And that little life lawyer, that little referee will remind me, hey, maybe now is not the time to emote and to do that. Or like, maybe now is not the time to like, 
divulge that I think differently in this regard. Like, and it's, it's tough because I I don't want to lie to people and I always want to be honest. And I feel maybe you do. And maybe this is why you're doing the show is one reason, uh, like some kind of moral or responsible or, or like obligation, right? Like you are pursuing truth and you feel an obligation to share that. And if you're not doing that, you're like, well, what the fuck am I doing if I am not trying to help other people and do that? But sometimes you have to, I have to shut up. Doing the show has definitely helped me shut up more in real life. Cause I'm like, okay, you, I have this thing where I can go talk about this shit for like an hour, at least a week with someone. Yeah. And then I have other outlets. So it's I'm like, I get to some normies. I'm like, is it, all this could do for me is get it out of my system. And it's not going to really change them most likely. So now that it's out of my system in another way, I can move on a little faster. Not that I don't sometimes get sucked in. Of course you can Shawshank redemption. You're crazy. A little bit of a time with your <laughs> yes. guests. And that, that way you offload and you don't bring it home to your partner. You don't bring it home to other. Cause, and I do carry that and it's horrible. It's so, so hard. Lord knows how hard it is to not want to scream in people's faces and be like, are you a fucking idiot? Because I see people still outside with an N95. Sometimes I give them a look like, are you not like I, I want to ostracize them. But it's like for my own personal security and safety, I have to consider in this situation. Is it a good idea? Most of the time it's not. And it's very hard. Or let me give you an example other things that I think are incredibly helpful right now is to expand your social network and to expand, you know, um, having people in your life that can help you. I mean, that is so important right now, right. To have that. And I think for me, like I've been a part of different groups that are adjacent to Liberty. So there's prepper groups, there's, you know, uh, like permaculture groups. And in every group, I don't agree with everyone about everything. There's people I come across that are blue pilled in those groups. And I have to resist the urge of saying, well, don't you understand liberty? Well, don't. So it's like, what I'm trying to say is it's important not only to center and have that jujitsu, but have that inner referee that says, you know, maybe like, uh, go to this meetup or do this, just do what you need to do to survive. Don't fuck anyone over, but just kind of live to fight in the sense of, of let this go right now so that you can live another day and you can move on and do what you need to do. And, and it's hard. Like for instance, I'll give you an example. There's many times I want to start a fight with people on Twitter. Right. And I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes like some, someone says something retarded and I'm like, I got to correct it. But like, I can't spend all my time doing that because I know like that's kind of part of what the system wants. We do it to each other all yeah. the time. They want you right. to get sucked in and what you give your attention to is what has power over you more or less. And whether it's just another friend or another person, and sometimes people mean, well, they're not trying to be nasty, but like the regime knows how to use us against each other to do that. And so it's, it's again, a matter of being mindful of like, what am I doing and why? And something I want to get into too, and you know, this is the environment is set up for us to constantly consume and not to produce anything. And that's one way that it maintains its control. So it's like, I'll ask myself, is what I'm doing productive? Am I creating value? Or am I just kind of like getting stuck running around in a circle and I'm just consuming further? It feels like activism. It feels like I'm doing something, Mm. but um, maybe I'm not producing something. So you know, keeping that in mind was like incredibly helpful for me. And then something kind of segueing into that was um, cutting out the junk in your life. Like we're we're at that point where there's more like grift than production, and there's all these fake jobs and fake music and fake people. 
And, you know, just I'm so tired of like, I go to LinkedIn and LinkedIn's like this weird business website. I mean, it's very old, but it's almost like they want you to be excited about your own dystopian future. They're just like, oh, like it's just <laughs> there's something like oddly vaudeville propaganda about it. That's just it's just two steps away from, uh, you know, you'll you'll live in your bug pod and then be happy and know nothing. You know, Yeah. Like there's so much just predictive programming. Try to convince you that like being inauthentic is cool and, and you should just totally fit in in every way. And I'm like, it's it's gross to me. It's like they want to crush any sort of real thought or dissent. So I would say to people who who are struggling right now, who are still harboring a lot of negativity is, I guess, um, know how to manage that anger, know how to have healthy outlets, whether and it, a healthy outlet is something that you can do to release tension and stress that is sustainable. You know, like I do love smoking weed, but I recognize I can't just use that as an emotional crutch, like all the time. I mean, some people have, you know, like I said, meditation or they work out or they have gardening, find yourself a hands-on activity that you can do. That's like a healthy outlet, whether it's cleaning or organizing or create, having a new hobby or guitar or something. I think, I think it's kind of been time, but having like a go-to thing to release stress and, and that tension and just kind of like create and put yourself in a better mind space and maybe closer to God or closer to source is like one of the healthiest, best things you can do. And I think it's something with all of the noise and the busyness we have, that's like easy to forget. Like it's easy to spend some time and do that. And like, um, I kind of have this theory that people that are religious are just high naturally. I kind of suspect that. <laughs> I mean, in theory, you know, the, the, the most religious or the ones that are, I guess, maybe not most religious isn't the way to put it, but I, I guess in theory, you know, if for a believer or what have you, if you're more connected to God or the source or whatever you want to call it, you should be a little more high all the time, you know, cause you are connecting to something else, something higher. Right. Or at least, at least that's a way of having more positivity in your life. Because again, we're so surrounded with just constant negativity. And I'm not one of those hippie yeah. people that's like, oh, I, I'm not one of those people that believes in duality in a sense of like, you must be positive all the time. Because that's insane and crazy and weird. And I don't trust those people. That's bizarre to me. It's more like, knowing how to integrate that, knowing how to integrate that darkness and knowing how to navigate this. Cause this is not an easy time. This is a time where each individual is truly being tested as to their own spiritual and psychological strength and fortitude. We're all kind of being pushed to the limit so much and all the time that it's like, it's important to know how to be the captain of your own consciousness through this entire thing. And then on top of that, it's like, no, I think we might've found an episode title. I like that one. The captain, captain of your own consciousness. Yes. And then being your own life lawyer is also an important one. I like to say, because how great would it be if instead of, you know, the angel on your shoulders, like maybe you shouldn't send that tweet or like, I know you want to rage out right now, but maybe you should save it for something else. I have that guy, but he comes in after the fact. He's like, you should not have done that thing. Like I could have used you 10 minutes ago, man. Like, come on, tiny life lawyer. It's hard because I know all of us in this very like uh, sort of idealistic way, just want to go around and spread our truths to people and be like, well, I've done my job. But I mean, in, in, in that obligation and that urgency to do so, but it's knowing how to be constructive and effective about it. Like I do like to use stand up comedy to reach people and make them laugh and like think about things. And instead of just like preaching at them all the time, which is kind of nice, 
something I thought about this too is is some t- some tips and tricks that people can use. So um, to expand your support network, to expand your social circle, and to kind of find like minded people, join meetups around you that involve, like, say, like prepping or gardening or permaculture or food sufficiency. You can also just, I guess, it's like recognizing opportunity and if there isn't any in your local area you can do it yourself because a lot of people really um there are a lot of like-minded people and i know again that's relative to the population that you're in maybe you're in a rural area not a lot of people but a lot of people kind of wait around for someone else to start something so if you build it they will come if you do create some kind of meetup which is okay like you will find other people or if you go something sort of adjacent to liberty, you'll also find people. It doesn't always have to be a strictly like liberty oriented kind of thing. And especially now, like I said, for me, I kind of realized something that really hit home was I don't want to just be around people who also believe in freedom. I want to be around people who um, share goals in mind of what they want to do with that freedom. And there's definitely a distinction there on that because just being around people that believe in freedom or believe in being left alone is really like not enough to scale up for a community long-term. It's got to be around some kind of compelling story or some sort of mutual um, life-building goals that matter, whether that's having a family or having... I'm not a big fan of organized religion, but having a religion or something like that, it's like... There has to be more to it than just simply, I want to be free. You want to be free. Let's hang out and be friends. That is one thing I have come to, I think, understand more is in the being in the liberty movement for so long and like being around libertarians for so long is that I, I used to be of the belief like, well, originally it was a Ron Paul for me. It was like, we all believe in this guy, and the, but it's really about the things he's saying. We all believe in it. It doesn't matter what our other differences are. Like we could be from all different shapes and sizes and believe totally. You could be Luciferian. I don't care. You could be this and that. And it wouldn't, it doesn't matter as long as we all believe in freedom. That might be true in the very thin political sense that it doesn't matter. But if we're actually talking about a community or a support network or people People that will be there for you you do need more than that very thin philosophical background because that doesn't mean you might not share any actual values besides that one i want to be left alone but that that only goes so far yeah and as we're seeing right now not to tangent too much there's certainly a big fork in the road as to what people believe is or is not acceptable within that freedom space right like we're seeing people say oh it's cool you can bring kids to a drag show or like oh it's cool you can bring them to a pride parade Mm -hmm. and that's where like you you really see that fork of people who say no that's not okay or people say that is a so there's really this kind of like revisitation of what is or is not acceptable within a community with using that liberty and that kind of is a big thing and and something i want to throw out there too is if you are a person listening to this and you don't feel much direction you don't know where to go what you can do if you're listening to a lot of liberty podcasts listen to the sponsors who the sponsors are the podcast what kind of business they have and then think about starting your own business or you can copy the kind of business model that they have because you think oh this usually the people that support Liberty shows are Liberty minded or adjacent to that and usually have a business that's compatible with that. And so you could say, Hmm, maybe I'll copy that business model and I'll start my own business in that direction. And then I will increase my social value and I'll provide more value to the community. I'll provide more opportunity for myself. And then I will be able to kind of give myself more income, give myself a leg up, things like that. So 
And then I can buy the ads on Lions of Liberty and then <laughs> exactly. keep the cycle going. And take over everything and turn it right. Um, but that was something that I thought about was like, hey, all the, there's a list of all these like CBD sponsors and stuff like that. Like that could be a business model. Someone should get into that. And then that opens doors. So just starting something new kind of opens up a lot of doors and opportunity to see things differently. And I think also coming across different challenges, like when you start a business, you will will come across different challenges that will make you like rethink and reevaluate things certainly. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think is libertarianism, unfortunately tends to be kind of a cul-de-sac a lot of times for people that want to expand their consciousness and understand how things work and then kind of like prevents them from going right. And I don't agree with everything on the right. And I, I'm very sort of still uh, you know, hesitant about centralization of power and how do we prevent corruption? I have all these questions and I certainly don't believe in any sort of like real return to a normal 2019. In that sense, like if we do shift right, I don't think it's going to look like 2019 at all. And I have certain hesitations about that. But more or less, like I said, it's important to find like-minded people. And something that I've come to realize is um, I can't think of any one particular group that I agree with everything, but I can think of individuals that share characteristics that I really appreciate. Like, I really like people who are open-minded, that are curious, they're intellectual, they want to solve problems. And I find like within that post-libertarian group, we share a lot of characteristics, whether we're religious or not, or whether we come from a liberty background or not, there's a lot of like defining sort of personality traits that I think really jive well together and i think that's kind of a big part of allowing for that foundation of information and giving each other ideas so i would say to someone is don't just build your whole life around libertarianism itself but also kind of think about maybe i want to be around people who are innovative that are smart that like want to figure things out and humble too <laughs> right right after i said that be around people who aren't led by the nose by their ego, because something that I see that really plagues the libertarians quite a bit is that ego, that egoism, that sort of like not being able to admit when you're wrong, not looking at different ideas, uh, you know, calling people heretics when they don't agree with you, and then just sort of teaching them like they're worse than a status, blah, 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 blah. Like those kind of things are things that shackle us and keep us enslaved even more than the state because freedom really starts with you and yourself and the people i like to surround myself with are not just yes people or echo chambers per se but are people who will call me out if they think i'm wrong that will present me with new ideas and things to chew over and think about and like that's very powerful that's very important so in addition to finding these ways of helping yourself and creating opportunity for you and your community, it's also like being willing to listen and take in new ideas and sitting with those. Did you have any more on the list? I covered most of it. I didn't get into, I mean, I think it's important that people do searches for land and make friends with people with land and attend festivals and network yes. and kind of like check out different states. If you don't, if you don't own land, at least make friends with the people that do. That, exactly. <laughs> so it's just, there's a little bit more practicality to it in certain, and certainly like increasing your skills and your value, because something I've considered is even if we had Ancapistan tomorrow, people would still have to provide value. You can't just walk around Ancapistan and go, well, I'm an Ancap and 
that's what I do. It's like, no, you're going to have to provide value. I've got private property rights, but I have no right. property. <laughs> because then you'll walk around not have access to anything unless there's a charity per se or someone's willing to help you. It'd actually be a lot harder in Ancapistan than it would be under the state in, in some ways. It's not 100% the same, obviously, but like it's not going to be just like a free for all per se, or it's not going to just be like, oh, no one's going to hold you accountable ever. I mean, I think sometimes some of these people, if they didn't have something that they were fighting, they wouldn't have anything to define themselves by. You know, they, they, they're not focusing enough on building skills and allowing themselves to navigate through different worlds, whether that's normie or some kind of little ANCAP community or right wing or whatever. You're going to have to provide value to other people. Indeed. Well, uh, Rachel, I hope that we've provided a little value to people today with this conversation. And uh, I think some of your tips there are just not some of them. I mean, all, all of them really are are in some way, shape or form things that I have maybe by happenstance or not um, kind of worked into my life in some way or another, or at least become more aware of. I, I mean, the, the one I struggle with the most is social media and and like. Cause I'm an, I'm as big as an addict as, as like I can allow myself to be while still being so aware of how, of how bad it is and how I, like I know that I should not start my day on Twitter and I try not to, I almost always don't, but the, the times I do, it's like an hour later, I, I'm on my phone still. And I'm like, what have I done? Like, I just, I had all this th- I was going to go work out. I was going to do this. I'm like, I just wasted a fucking hour of my life. Yeah. And maybe I didn't waste it. Maybe I, uh, man, I'm, made some, made some friends or something on Twitter. But you know, at the end of the day, I think it's nothing, none of these tips and none of the things that we're talking about here. And the point is you're never going to get to perfection on this or on anything, but there are, there are little things that you can do that actually can put yourself in a better situation and, and more than more so than actually place yourself in another situation. I think the idea is to really orient yourself in just to becoming a better person. And then that will let you handle changes yeah. in, a, in a, in a better way. Oh my God, I used to be a goofball leftist feminist. And if I can at least figure some things out, I'm sure your listeners <laughs> more than can. I mean, if you're here and you're listening to this now, you know, you, you are, are alive and kicking and trying to do something. And I think that that's incredibly important. And I know I get, I get addicted to social media too, because it feels good to, to feel like you're yeah. being heard and to connect. And we all really do want to connect. And it's weird to live in a kind of um, such a fragmented culture for the most part. So it feels good in a way, but it's what I try to do with social media is I actually go meet people from Twitter. Like I go to Liberty yes. festivals or other festivals like Childerberg. And I meet people and then I give them my number and try to actually connect. So if I ever want to delete my social media, I go, okay, at least, at least I'm, I'm trying to use this, you know, surveillance software for, for good in a way. I know it's trying to replicate me. So to build your, your hard Rolodex and on, on the way there. I know social media is there to like basically uh, snag my personality and copy me so they can clone me after my, after I die. But until then, it's basically like, well, I can go, you know, meet and connect with people and try to try to use it against the regime in a way. Indeed. All right, Rachel. Well, really appreciate the conversation. And uh, before I let you go, let everybody know exactly well where they can find your Twitter. First of all, of course, so you can Ironically. be on there replying to them and everything. Yeah. <laughs> first thing to plug this thing we're telling you not to be on. Yeah. No, it's just about managing it. You can be on for a little while, but don't make it your whole day and don't make it the first yeah. thing in the morning or the last thing at night. That would be my advice. It's not in a, an addiction if you can stop at any time, right? <laughs> Right, but, um, right, exactly. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Rachel D. Tobias. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-D-T-O-B-I-S. And then you can also find my website, Amerta Studios, which is my artist illustration website, A-M-R-T-A studios.com. Uh, and those are some ways that, you know, you can reach me because I deleted Facebook and I have LinkedIn or whatever. But 
Yeah, it's just, you know, look, hang in there. You know, it's kind of a mixed bag. I, I certainly would love to hear about, you know, your your background and kind of commiserate on that Jewish misery some more. But I did want to walk away. <laughs> I least. don't think I experienced it quite in the same, in the, in the same way you did. Uh, <laughs> I think I had a lot easier time with it. But solutions are always a good thing and kind of like learning to refocus and not everything is terrible forever is pretty important, too. So thank you so much for having me on your show. Like, I really, really do appreciate it. I learned so much from you and your show and your input and you're so much like a ball of sunshine so i really do appreciate it oh well, thank you i appreciate that thank you so much rachel really appreciate it keep up the great work keep on roaring i know you will thank you all right gang hope you enjoyed my conversation with rachel tobias always fun to uh to bring the twitter people into the real world or as much as the real world as podcasting can be i think it's a little more real than twitter that's for sure uh but either way you could have seen this one live and in person no just kidding not in person you could have seen it live uh streamed on the internet were you only a patron of lions of liberty at patreon.com slash lions of liberty or also, you could support us on Locals at lionsofliberty.locals.com. You get live streams of all of my interviews, um, most of John's interviews. Um, Brian's usually doing more current of any type stuff, so he doesn't always really do those live, but often does as well. So you just never really know. But from Brian, you get the incredible good morning, fuckhead. Uh, we'll also be featuring soon the return in a slightly tweaked format of the Conspiracy Corner. So stay tuned for that. All of it available for as little as a measly five smackers per month. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Lionsofliberty.locals.com. Thank you so much, my friends. Until next time, I only have one more request, and that is to live long and live free and live free and live free and live free. And live free. And live free.